0: Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Hello. Um, Those of you who were around last week will have heard Hannah speaking about being first and foremost rooted in Christ, about being rooted and established in love. This is our primary identity as beloved children of God. We are in Christ, above work, relationships, possessions, image, pleasure, popularity. In Christ is our starting point and our finishing point. This is our root, our roots and our reach. So I am in Christ and you are in Christ, but me and you are not the only people made in the image of God. It's not just I, me in Christ, it's us in Christ. And if someone isn't rooted and established in Christ, it's come on in. We say, welcome to the family. And yes, we are to be individually rooted and established in Christ. Our identity as a child of God, fully loved and fully known. And, not but, and the journey towards holiness and the pursuit of his presence is ours, not just yours not just mine. The journey is ours. And today we are talking about being rooted in community. So what is this gloriously messy mission, the extraordinary genius strategy, the wildest frontier we can ever embark on or pursue? Well, it's friendship. And don't switch off now because this isn't a fob off or an easy or over idealized, naive answer because friendship is the foundation of our faith. It is in both the roots and the reach of our faith. This is a biblical principle. David Ford, who was the professor of divinity at the University of Cambridge, aka a very clever. Man has been writing his life's work, which is a study on the Gospel of John, and he says it's all fundamentally about friendship. Community, connectedness and friendship are hardwired into humanity. And at the end of his life, the late, great Eugene Peterson said, you can sum it up, you can sum it all up in a word, friendship. And I reckon there are three main points on the grand cosmic strategy that's being taught on all the heavenly team away days. They are one, make friends. Two, be kind. And three, don't leave anyone behind. You see, we are to be rooted in community, in friendship. We encounter God in other people and God dwells in the spaces and relationships between us and friendship and family is what he uses to transform the world. We talk about Christianity being radical and countercultural and all these things all the time, yet we can be so quick to throw out truly countercultural ideas. And have you ever heard anything more radical and ridiculous, but so totally profound that no doubt rings true with our human experience? That friendship, that holy relationship is the answer. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit worn out by the word community. The words, we're all in this together, or welcome to the family, feel so overused right now, don't they? YouTubers and influencers I've never met telling me I'm part of their community. ITV the other day was telling me that we're all in this together. I walked past an espresso shop in town on Friday and their window was pleased to tell me that they would always be there for me. Espresso will always be there for me. A coffee pod can't be there for me. Imagine that. You see, ITV will not and cannot offer me true comfort and I am certainly not in the family or community of any YouTubers. I've been desensitized to this beautiful, beautiful concept that God intended for our comfort, growth, and for his mission. Modern marketing has diluted and corrupted this holy sacrament and we cannot let this transactional picture of community, we have been literally sold, inform our lives together as Christians. So this morning I'm not talking about that sort of community, transactional, distant community with agenda. I'm talking about life on life, fully known by God and fully known by humans kind of life. You see, when we are in Christ, rooted and established in love, and we move towards God and to each other in relationship, something beautiful happens. God moves in. He dwells in and amongst us. The Nespresso YouTube ITV kind of family won't change anything, but the kind of community defined by sacrificial hospitality and a dedication to Christ and each other is a strategy in which God chose to bring hope to the world. And so I'm going to read from John 13, 31 to 35. When he who was Judas was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going. You cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Because firstly, our relationship with God and our relationships with humans are inextricably linked. We don't get to love God and hate one another. We don't get to love God and hate people. We've just read Jesus says this, a new command, I give you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By everyone, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. N.T. Wright notices the newness of this command. The command to love others as you love yourselves has been around since the Old Testament. Leviticus commands the Israelites to love their neighbours as themselves. But the newness here is the type and the depth of this love. To love each other as Jesus has loved and continues to love us. You see, Jesus is the God who washed dirty feet. Jesus is the God who smiled at Peter when he knew he would deny him. Just after he says these very words we've just read, Jesus is the God who partied at weddings and wept at the death of his friend. Jesus is the God who died for us. Jesus is the God who this very day hides our deeply flawed selves in him and continually prays for us. And this is our model for friendship. This is our model for community. And Jesus knows that this isn't an easy thing to ask of us. There will have been people listening and tuning into this live stream who have been so hurt deeply by Christian community. And I am genuinely so deeply sorry. See, most of us are the walking wounded and wounds can make us wobbly. And when we're wobbly, we hurt people. We can so easily hurt ourselves and others. And I am so sorry if you've been hurt by the community that is commissioned to care for you and with you and support you. It's extra painful when we are hurt by something or someone who is meant to nurture us. But do you know that Jesus knows how you feel? Just before this passage in John we just read, Jesus revealed he knew that his disciple and friend Jesus was going to betray him. Jesus knew what it is like to be let down by people who he loved dearly, who he walked alongside. And not only that, but just after these words we've read, Jesus tells Peter he knows Peter will disown him when he's under pressure. If we are going to be people that love as Christ did, so we will open ourselves up to be vulnerable to pain and disappointment and hurt. But we know that the betrayal and the denial of Jesus were not the last words over his life. Victory and redemption are at the end of the story. And that isn't to say we don't address difficulty in relationship and sort out issues when they arise. We are going to have to do that in order to stay put with the same people long enough for it to be meaningful. And we're given a really practical model for resolving conflict in Matthew 18. And just to say we're not talking about abusive relationships here. We're talking about day-to-day conflict and hurt. We are to keep an eternal perspective on our relationships. We are to keep praying for grace and keep on choosing to turn towards each other rather than away when things get rocky. See, when tragedy strikes, we often hear people talk about having two outcomes. It blows relationships, families and communities apart, or it brings them and binds them together through shared experience and grit. And we must choose the latter, The church must choose the latter. We must choose to press in and stick together during these difficult and trying times. Life is hard right now. It's heavy. And there is so much darkness so close to the surface of so many of our lives and the lives of our loved ones. But this is not the time to turn away from each other. It's the time to turn towards each other, that God might anoint the space between us and dwell amongst us. He doesn't just love you. He doesn't just love me. He loves us. He is with us. And now more than ever, we have to grab the lies from the enemy and say, not today throw them in the bin and out the window because you are part of this community. You are important, you belong and anyone that says anything else is a liar. Don't let the enemy or evil tell you that your invite, your friendship and your presence is not valid, important or precious because it is. You are a precious and vital part of God's family and our community. Let's not let evil convince us to build walls to keep people out or that friendship isn't enough to change the world because it already did. We read in John 15, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. It was and is the greatest act of sacrificial friendship that means that we are here today. God calls you friend that you might call others friend. Now, I've talked about this before, I think. I hate football. I think it's really boring. And I won't apologise for that. But I loved it for about 10 minutes a few weeks ago. Now, Michael, my husband, is a massive Liverpool fan. And the Liverpool fans amongst you will know that Alisson, the goalkeeper, scored a goal in the 94th minute of a match, which meant they qualified for the Champions League. And the rest of the team went wild, doing all the weird things that footballers do when they celebrate. Michael was jumping up and down. And in the post-match interviews, they obviously wanted to speak to the goalie. That was Alison, who scored with a totally unpredictable winning header. Now, in the interview, it became clear that he had a faith in Jesus. And that he'd lost his dad in a tragic accident this year and had been unable to return home to Brazil to mourn with his family due to the pandemic. But he went on to describe the love that he had received from his teammates, his manager and other football clubs reaching out for support. And he said this, he said, there are times in your life when you know God's hand is on you and there are times when you know God's love through other people and I have known his love through the people around me during this difficult time. And this goalkeeper, like so many of us, is familiar with heartbreak and horror, but also with the comfort of a good God, through the Holy Spirit, but also through the kindness of people. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By everyone, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, we are more than the sum of our parts. The theologian Professor Richard Lovelace said, you cannot be more filled with the Holy Spirit than the community to which you are a part. You see, we need each other. There is something unique and part of God's plan that is in the beauty of relationship between us. Between me and path, between me and hope. Think about so many of the incredible things and inventions that have happened throughout history because they all started with friendship. God, for starters, exists in relationship. But if that's not enough for you, think of the Inklings, the literary discussion group that C.S. Lewis and Tolkien were part of. Would they have been able to create what they did individually if they hadn't been together discussing it with others? Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, Harvey Firestone and John Burroughs. These men who did incredible things. They were great friends from a young age. They branded themselves the four vagabonds, which actually makes them sound kind of annoying. But they named their friendship with each other as a key factor in all they went on to achieve in their various arenas. The abolition of the slave trade began with a group of friends praying and people who have studied revival have noticed it always starts with a group of friends praying. On the flip side, when we think of the great tragedies that we've seen, they start with isolation and disconnection, with power hungry individuals who set themselves apart from others. You see, we need each other. In community, we become more than we could ever be on our own. We find safety and God anoints us and the space between us. We need each other's gifts and unique personalities and God-given assignments and we all have something to bring that will be missing if we don't bring it. Clarkson, who is a hugely influential psychotherapist, attempts to pin down and put into words the somewhat mystical healing that occurs in a relationship between a therapist and a client. She writes, the healing does not inhere in the healer, nor does the healing power inhere only in the seeker or in the space between, but in both and. Now, she didn't have a faith, but noticed that something happens when we share our lives with each other that cannot happen when we don't. God exists in relationship, and so must we. And finally, our community exists to serve others. You see, this is bigger than us. We must look outwards. You see, we are all hardwired for connectedness. It's part of the human condition. Mate is a physician who has worked with displaced people, you might have heard of him, and those addicted to drugs in the downtown east side of Vancouver for many decades. (laughs) He pioneered harm minimization projects for addicted people in Canada. And he humanised and advocated for so many who have been written off over the years. And I have no idea if he has any faith. Maybe some of you guys do know. But his life's work is based on the understanding of the connection between our mind and our bodies and our biological and psychological hardwiring towards connectedness. In one of his books called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, he describes an interaction he has with a 27-year-old woman who is also a sex trade worker. And she recalls the first time she took heroin and she described it as a soft, warm hug. And he explained how in this one phrase, she summed up the psychological and chemical cravings of so many substance addicted people, but also shone a light on what it is to be human. He explains the link between our brains being hardwired for chemical reward right from the moment we're born, attaching to our mothers, our primary attachment figures. And from that moment on, chemical rewards become associated with connectedness. And so in search for connectedness, we will rush from thing to thing, attachment to attachment, to find our fix, whatever it might be. drugs shopping, work, beauty, anything Hannah mentioned in her talk last week, because we are hardwired for connectedness. Where do you search for your soft, warm hug? You see, connectedness and community are not ethereal concepts. Community is real people. It is real people offering soft, warm hugs, the literal and the not so literal. It's a hardwired, psychological, biological need. And we cannot survive without it. And God and Christ-filled community is not just a wishy-washy, nice idea. In Psalm 68, 6, we read... Sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families, he leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land." God, the father to the fatherless, the defender of the widows, he who leads out the prisoners with singing, places the lonely in families, not programs or drop-ins or projects, but families. And yes, these things are important and are useful and have saved many, many lives, but they are not the answer in entirety. And if we stop there, we are only robbing ourselves and others of something so much more beautiful. Mother Teresa famously said, Loneliness is the leprosy of modern society. And family and community is how God chooses to reconcile and restore us as human race. The great problems of our age and every age that has been and every age that will be dehumanisation, displacement and disconnection. And the prophetic answer, family, community, friendship. And you know what? It all sounds very exciting, doesn't it? But it often looks very boring and ordinary in practice, but actually not very boring or ordinary at all. Bonhoeffer offers us a stark warning. He says this. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. We cannot let our dreams and fantasies of a far-off, perfect community destroy the one we have in front of us. It looks like going to collective every week and praying and dedicating yourself to the day-to-day banalities of each other's lives in between. It looks like meal trains and lifts and awkward encounters and Sainsbury's and spilling coffee on each other's carpets and praying together and weeping together and celebrating together and sticking together. You see, friendship happens in very small acts. The everyday moments soon become the once in a lifetime moments and we live them together side by side. It looks like pushing through our own cringing and daring to be seen and see others. Inviting someone for a walk, signing up for a buddy box and spending time together. See if we want friends, if we want to see change inside and outside our community, we have to learn the spiritual discipline of hospitality. We cannot know true community and friendship without practicing the spiritual discipline of hospitality. You see, hospitality isn't just a nice house and a good guest bed. We are called to be hospitable with our very being. To be hospitable is to be holy. You see, the pursuit of holiness will not lead you to a platform or to a place. It will lead you to people. The pursuit of holiness will not lead you to a platform or to a place but it will lead you to people. See, when we make peace with our own identity, as rooted in Christ and established in love, we can begin to truly host the presence of another. By accepting ourselves in quiet contentment, by learning to sit in silence with myself and Jesus, I can sit in the presence of another without consuming them. When I know my identity, as a loved, chosen, accepted, secure child of God, only then can I truly and fully accept the presence of another. I can sit wholly with them, solely focused on the flourishing of the human in front of me. So let's not just go back to where we were before this pandemic. Let's recommit to opening our hearts and our homes to each other. You see, you are the church. And this Sunday gathering is just one tiny part of it. God help us if this is our entire offering. You see, you are empowered and commissioned by the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Christ that you might open your homes, your tables, and your hearts to a hurting world. You are called up to bind up the brokenhearted and see beauty in ashes and restore and rebuild and renew communities through the radical discipline of hospitality. What is at the heart of a loving Christ-inspired community that is rooted in Christ is hospitality and what is the driver of hospitality It's connectedness and what is connectedness is intimacy. The need for intimacy is hardwired into our biology, our souls and our minds and it is much easier to hate from far away and much easier to love close up. You see, I think hospitality is part of our fight for social justice. See, justice can be big and frightening and overwhelming and that is somewhat of a relief because when we hurt another or turn the other way in the face of suffering, we're turning away from or hurting a child of the King of Heaven. But Jesus, when we are rooted in Christ, covers us in mercy and grace and gives us another chance. See, justice is righteous and bold. But it's never unkind. It convicts, but it doesn't drag us or others through mud. You see, God is big enough to hold both righteousness and mercy, and we are rooted and established in love so that we might repent and lament and learn and change and overflow with the fruit of the Spirit. You see, justice can take all shapes and sizes. But it can be so gentle that it's being served under your nose and you wouldn't even know until quietly and surely every heart and mind is transformed and sat next to you round a table. Justice that starts with hospitality and is served as friendship, life on life, grubby, glorious friendship. We see our job is to roar with the pain of the exploited and plead on behalf of the exploiter and we can only do this up close. Justice can be so radical you may not notice it being brought forth at first. Each person owning their own story and identity as others treat others with the reverence a son or daughter of the king is to be held by until suddenly it's served and it radiates and you can't help but stop and stare and be drawn in. The slow gentle gradually of friendship becomes the explosive, suddenly, of justice served and communities redeemed. Move slow enough to hear the story of the person you are sat with and make space for one another. You will be deeply moved, I promise, every time. So I've got three very short challenges for you this week to begin to live this out. One. Spend 10 minutes every morning this week in silence and solitude with Jesus. We have to start from this place or it'll all go wrong really quickly. Two, invite someone round for dinner. It can be beans on toast. If you can't afford to have someone around for dinner, ask them to bring something with them. Or better yet, invite yourself round to their house. Three, once a day consciously choose to move towards someone with no expectation of anything in return. It can be a tiny thing. Phone someone for a chat, make a colleague a cup of tea, listen deeply to one another without interrupting or bringing your own experience. Just listen, buy someone a bunch of flowers, encourage someone. You might like to use the National Loneliness Awareness Week events to make that invite a bit easier. So in conclusion, heaven's strategy to heal us and a hurting world is one, make friends, two, be kind and three, Don't leave anyone behind.